Welcome to the Shields Outdoors podcast, your source for information on hunting, fishing, and all of your outdoor passions. Good evening, everyone. My name is Ben Fleischecker with Shields. Welcome to the second night of our virtual hunt fest. Tonight, we're talking waterfowl. We've got a couple great people up here we're going to bring up and introduce and talk some waterfowl and some strategy and uh, it's pretty funny because we already got a bunch of questions rolling in already so it's going to be a fantastic night very excited for it we would like to thank our sponsors sitka browning mo marsh and higdon so we've got kyle jones tonight as well as brooke richard richard excuse me i already asked him his, his last name and kind of screwed that one up already sorry brooke uh anyways we're very excited to get into this uh let's not really kind of joke around let's kind of start talking waterfowl i mean it's literally a couple weeks away if not a week away up here in north dakota for early goose uh and you guys were already talking about going down south for some teal we're excited about that so kyle would you mind introducing yourself here for us hey guys uh obviously you know my name is kyle jones uh work for power calls higdon outdoors and melmarsh uh and i do call production and like goose calling and hunting canada geese and waterfowl hunting what is your uh, your resume for those contests? Because I'm pretty sure both of you guys are pretty. Uh, yeah, we're uh, <laughs> we both uh, participate in contest calling regularly and annually. Uh, obviously, this year with COVID, they've kind of shut a lot of those down. But uh, 2008 Junior World Goose Calling Champion, 2018 World Goose Calling Champion, and 2019 World Goose Calling Champion. Not bad, <laughs> Brooke. My name is Brooke Richard, originally from Lafayette, Louisiana. I've been working here at Higdon Outdoors for about five years now. Um, I run social media, do sales, just about any uh, anything you could imagine here at Higdon. Kyle and I wear a lot of hats and uh, live here in Paducah. Kyle and I both co-host uh, Higdon Outdoors television shows, so we're blessed to travel all over, hunt a lot of places, see a lot of things. And I'm a uh, two-man team live duck world duck calling champion. I've participated in Main Street Calling Contest. Mm -hmm. uh, won a few contests there. Haven't won Worlds in Main Street yet, but uh, you never know. There's plenty of time. But uh, love spec calling, love duck calling, love hunting anything that'll put its feet down. Absolutely. That's great. So where do you guys spend the majority of your time chasing waterfowl? Mm. I <laughs> man, I, I think we really try to travel as much as we possibly can, yeah. whether it's for filming or whether it's just going home to hunt. I know Brooke tries to go back to Louisiana, Arkansas. Uh, I try to go back to Michigan or uh, anywhere really to try to just hunt. But sure. majority of it's West Kentucky when okay. we can't travel. Yeah, yeah. the Mississippi Flyway, honestly. Um, we've got a short leash during duck season because we're so busy. It's that time of year. Oh, yeah. So if we're not filming, you know, if we're not filming our TV show, which we get to travel a bunch there, and you mm -hmm. never know where you'll see us from anywhere in the, in the lower 48 or even Canada. Um, typically speaking, West Kentucky, Tennessee, Missouri, Arkansas, mm -hmm. uh, Louisiana, Texas, really anywhere that we can drive and get back to work on Monday. Uh, you never know where we're going to be. Depends yep. on what the weather report is and where the birds are. Do you guys spend any time on the, uh, for like sea ducks or branch or anything like that? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 2000, 2017? Yeah. At World Goose, we jumped in one of those little UFO looking deals, yep. layout boat, and hunted in <laughs> Chesapeake Bay for a couple hours. That's pretty cool. <laughs> pretty good stuff. Yeah. It's saltwater teal hunting is what I call it, but we had a blast. We've yeah. uh, got some friends out there in, in Maryland when we go out, and Kyle uh, participates in World Goose out in Eastern Maryland. Yep. They invite us to go jump in, jump in layout boats and Chesapeake Bay, and we get to do stuff we don't do. And really, that's 
we love doing stuff like that. Something different we don't get to do here uh, in Mississippi Flyway. So it's super enjoyable, and we look forward to doing it again. It's probably one of the most intimidating hunting situations oh, you yeah. can ever get in because you're in, like, the ocean, and you're looking at this uh, layout boat, and you're, like, stepping down below the surface of the water, and you're just – it's scream sketchy for sure. <laughs> yep, I believe it. Yeah, I know some of the guys in the uh, Great Lakes area do it for some old squaw, which I would never oh, yeah. assume old squaw in the Great Lakes area, but it's on the bucket list. Is yep. it? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, 2021, right? <laughs> All right. Yeah. Unless you can do it this fall, hopefully. Sure. Uh, so do you guys spend more, what, what layout situation or hunting situation are you guys in layouts, laid out the boats? Are you guys in pit blinds? Are you guys just covering up in a field with a blanket? What's the majority of your time spent? Sure. You know, we've got, um, of course, with Momarsh, yep. you know, the company saying hunt hard, hide easy. So we make some great products, a lot of different products that allow us to hunt in several different situations. So whether it's a layout boat or a layout blind mm-hmm. or a shallow water solution, such as the Invisiman hunting flooded agriculture and you need a place to hide in, in water. You know, we've we've got permanent blinds here, like the Higdon Farm that you see a lot on our TV show. And then also we hunt pits a lot. Really, it really just depends on, on where we're hunting and how many people we're trying to hide, but uh, we're yeah. very familiar with all of it. I'd say the, if we're least familiar with anything, it's probably the uh, the tandem uh, UFO layout boats in salt water <laughs> more than anything, but really yep, anything yep. in between a pit blind, a permanent blind, and trying to hide in flooded cornfield. Uh, different day of the week, you never know what we're going to be doing. And that's nice, too, because at Higdon, I mean, the guys that are developing the products are also the guys spending, guys and gals, yeah. spending the time in the field. Absolutely. So, I mean, yeah. you're taking We've got some really cool stuff coming out, too. So Yeah, your guys is dog best, man. I'll tell you what, I cannot wait to get my hands on one of those. Super I know a guy. <laughs> yeah, do you? <laughs> yeah, if there's going to be available. It sounds like pre-sale right. has been fantastic for you guys on that. Yeah, it has. It's, it's been great for us. All right, so let's talk some calls, too, I guess, while we're at it, before we start jumping in here. Sure. Um, I saw, Brooke, I saw you messing with something. Was that a short read? Or was that a duck no. call? I'll let Kyle do all the goose calling. I've got two spec or a spec call, two duck calls, and a whistle on my lanyard. And if I want to hunt Canada geese, I call Kyle. So I'll, I'll let him do all the geese calling. Yeah. Do you do any flute calling, or is it all short? No, read? Uh, I just do majority all short read. Um, that's kind of what I started in. I mm-hmm. started goose calling whenever the short reads were kind of taking over everything, and flute calling was kind of obsolete. Yep. So it's mainly short read, and that's that's. Uh, by far, in my opinion, just very, very uh, versatile form of calling for cannabis. Absolutely. The big river will never die, though. <laughs> Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Great. Uh, so some of the, the questions I, I guarantee that we're going to start seeing here. Uh, yeah, here's one. Ryan L. What are some of the best beginner calls and resources for learning how to call and how to choose the correct sound at the correct time? I mean, that's about an 18-layer question, but um, start with some basics. Let's start with basic duck and basic goose. So why don't you tackle the education side? Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, I try to, I try to help as much people as I possibly can, whether they're reaching out via social media or Mm -hmm. whatever. Uh, you know, and that's, that's, or if we're at like a, a shields expo or something like that, people come up, that's the best form of, of learning. Obviously COVID kind of, has a little bit of obstacles that people have to jump over. But mm-hmm. uh, if you can get to an expo or anything like that to learn hands-on from the guys that are 
actually selling the calls that are in the shield stores, I think is, is most important. You get guys like, you know, field HUD and all Scott trying and those guys are there. Mm-hmm. They're willing and very, very ready to teach you guys to, to teach people how to goose call. Yep. Obviously we spend a lot of time in the cars finding a good CD or audio. I know Scott does a great job with his bad grammar yep. DVDs. Yep. Um, Sean Stahl with uh, his old video Honker Talk. That was probably my go-to. And then I know Zeke Calls offers mm-hmm. their uh, DVD and CD as well. We're we're working on one, but it's uh, a work in progress. But, yeah. you know, it's that's the best way to do it. And then just trying to practice as much as possible. Um, when it comes to short read, choosing a short read Canada Goose Call, if you're just beginning – go to the store and, and get one that does come in a DVD pack, you know, mm-hmm. or a, a surge, uh, or, uh, any of the, any of the other call selections that are within that 50, $60 price range, learn the basics, your honk, your cluck, your moan, mm-hmm. and then graduate up to a more advanced call, like a premium call frequency or one of the, the calls like a, a CNS. I know, uh, CNS calls is carried in shield as mm-hmm. well, you know, something like that where you crawl and walk before you run. And then that's whenever you advance up to the, the better, uh, call, the more premium call that's going to last you, uh, the lifetime of a waterfall. So somebody doesn't have to jump into an acrylic call right away. They can use polycarb. No. They can use a mixture of polycarbon wood. Sure. A- absolutely. Absolutely. The geese don't care at the end of the day or ducks even. That's, sure. right. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. I think Kyle hit the nail on the head. The walk crawl run method is uh, our crawl walk run more more like it um i can't express that enough too many times you see uh young energetic beginner callers wanting to go fast and wanting mm-hmm. to do all these things and they miss that opportunity to get a solid foundation that they're going to build on so uh, whether it's you know youtube or buying a dvd or or going up like callingducks.com has, has some great mm-hmm. info people trying to teach folks mm-hmm. um don't try to do a um a rolling feed call on a duck call before you learn how to quack you know just take your time, do it, build that good foundation, reach out to people in the industry, like yep. folks like Kyle and I, you'll find that every call company at every sporting goods store, there's somebody always there that would love to teach somebody. Oh, yeah. and I think that's the nature of what we do is yep. we want to help. So don't be scared to pick up the phone and ask someone if you're doing something wrong because mm-hmm. um, folks like Kyle and I will probably end up on the other end of the phone. Mm-hmm. Well, and even today with all the technology, YouTube and sure. you know social media, I mean, there's so many options and tools out there for people. You know, given... Yeah. You know, 15, 20 years ago, I mean, it's literally cassettes, DVDs, yeah. CDs. I mean, it's insane yeah. what, what everything can do. I mean, because even with the goose, in my opinion, some of that back pressure and your hand placement is so vital, mm-hmm. you know, and yeah. you can listen to a DVD or, you know, I want to say cassette tape, but cassette tapes, <laughs> right? I mean, old school, right? Um, right? But you can't see what you're doing with your hands. You know, you can listen, sure. but you can't see it. Versus duck, it's important, yeah. but it's not vitally important right yeah and i mean you know with especially once it comes to spec calling too i'll give you know i've had a great teacher here but hand position is way more important with spec calling than it is with duck calling and even some canada goose calling so even like with a flute though like spec calling it it, a lot of it is is your hands and i'm not a canada goose caller uh but you know kyle teaching me how to hold my hands in a flute allowed me to make simple notes that i can stumble my way through on a short read, but can never get out of a flute. It's, you know, having the right teacher or, or really not even the teacher, just the right information. Perfect practice makes perfect. So yep. um, if you go on Google and type in, how do I, and then whether, whether the next species is duck, goose, crane, swan, whatever it is, call, 
you'll find some good stuff. It's out there. Don't, Absolutely. don't, uh, don't, sh- don't shortchange yourself. Go look for it. And you'll find some great information. Yep. Well, why don't we jump in? Do you guys mind doing the basics? Let's start with goose. Sure. And then jump into yeah. basics of duck. Um, sure. So the, with a short read Canada call, uh, any guy that's beginning, I, I personally recommend everybody's different. I personally recommend learning cluck, double cluck and a moan. Yep. Learn those three and you will absolutely. And obviously putting that and tying that into reading the birds is completely different, but it's another topic, uh, yeah. knowing those notes is mm-hmm. going to help you tremendously in the long run. Cluck is just a single goose. Which call uh, are you using? Uh, this is the power call surge. It's actually in the uh, giveaway that you guys got going on. Too. Awesome. Um, so it's a short read candidate goose call comes with broken in guts, um, which is but, uh, for which those that don't like, know. So I don't know if you can see that or not. So this read in the, in the goose call, there's a tone board. Uh, that read is actually going to vibrate mm-hmm. and that's, what's making the noise inside of the goose call. Um, and what happens whenever you blow this call a lot is that read will actually make indentations on that tone board. Mm-hmm. Um, and it just creates a really, really solid, uh, full goose tone. Well, we took that and we molded it and we now have a brand new goose call with a full goose tone right out of the box. Broken so in guts it, right it, away. It, yep. Broken in guts right away. So that way guys that are wanting to sound you know like a really full big goose right out of the box i mean it's it's right there um so the 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 calling is a cluck a double cluck and a mo um you know a cluck is a single goose double cluck is two geese mm-hmm. uh geese are very aggressive so you can always go slow you can go fast but uh it's just going to sound like this right here so a cluck is <laughs> cadence up just a little bit to sound like it's getting a little bit more aggressive as a goose or i can back it off space it out mm-hmm. and just do a single cluck uh like a, just like a goose walking through a field uh and then you've got a double cluck which is a high-pitched cluck and a low-pitched cluck but i'm also going to whenever i do that high-pitched cluck i'm going to open my hands up slightly and then add a little bit higher pitch voice inflection like i'm singing and then whenever i do my low cluck i'm going to close my hands up just slightly and do a lower pitch cluck like I'm like Josh Turner singing country music. He's got that low pitch bassy mm-hmm. voice. That's all I'm going to do. So then it's going to just sound like two geese. <laughs> and you can very much just like that single cluck, uh, change the cadence if you want to slow it down or if you want to speed it up and get a really, really good aggressive two geese talking back and forth mm-hmm. um and then the last one is just uh just a moan all it is is <laughs> and everybody hears that that's like that that's that note that everybody's sitting in the duck blind and they're just like they start to panic because <laughs> they hear that right and yep. they're like okay there's a goose coming by um so you can team all those notes together and that's a great great building block uh to really uh have a great playbook when it comes to calling Canada geese and hunting and killing them. Mm-hmm. So I know that was about 99 miles per hour, but no, it's great. Uh, and, I mean, there's the resource out there. We've already talked about that. So if yeah. someone's really getting in there, okay, here's the three calls I need to master. 
right? Yep. Before I can yep. take the next step and really putting that cadence together and, you know, changing it up. And then the next step, I mean, going back to Ryan's question is about reading some of the birds. I mean, you know, are you guys looking at wingtips? You guys looking at feet? I mean, obviously if the feet are down, that's a pretty good sign, but are you calling to in the corners? Are you calling them straight yep. at you? Oh, when it, when it comes to that, uh, I'm a huge uh, advocate of trying to call as much on the corners unless when the birds are actually coming at you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm very, very reserved and conservative when it comes to calling because I don't want to give them and show them everything that I've got yep. uh, beforehand because then it's just elevator music oh, yeah. to them, especially if they're not if they're not showing they're interested. And I'm sitting here, they're already coming, I'm calling a bunch, and then they just kind of slide off. Well, now I've got nothing else to, to throw out there. Yep. Um, so I try to keep it reserved, keep it simple, uh, and get a little bit more aggressive on those turns and on those corners, just because that will hopefully center those birds right back up with you and have their attention on the decoys. Mm-hmm. So it's a, that's a loaded question. Oh though, yeah. Man. It's, it's a, tough. A, I get it. But, uh, and then, you know, I also listen, uh, and try to, if birds are extremely aggressive in the air, I'm trying to maybe show a little bit more aggression on the ground because geese aren't really they're they're trying to prevent those other geese from coming in and landing oh, yeah. with them you yep. know and that's a very big there's some disconnect there with with guys because ducks they're trying to you know it's a hen and you're trying to convince the drakes to come down mm-hmm. uh, but with geese they're just saying hey stay back stay away from my food mm-hmm. or, or my area my zone my mate and they're trying to push those geese off to the side. So if they're already aggressive in the air, I might try to get a little bit more aggressive with them on the ground. Yep. So. All right, Brooke. I'm taking notes. I'm learning. <laughs> this is great. Yeah. Everything's starting to make sense now. Yeah. now <laughs> Connecting the dots. Now, Kyle's right. You know, with the, and I think that's with any waterfowl species, calling birds on the corner, um, letting a little bit of rope out at a time. If you show them your ace card right at the beginning and then they swing out and you've got to turn them back around, several times you know we see it we see it in other people hunting we, we make that mistake sometimes and we have to learn from it in each different hunting scenario but mm-hmm. save that ace card for the end because nine times out of ten waterfowl are gonna try to trick you they're looking for you and if you have one more thing to show them right there at the end a lot of times that's the difference between shooting them at 50 and shooting them at 15 so yep. you know if you if you're a waterfowl and you've never been burnt doing it um you're a liar yeah, and if, uh, <laughs> if you don't learn from it it's kind of the definition of insanity so uh, calling less, knowing when to call, watching what the bird's doing, mm-hmm. you know, adjusting their mannerism, and then always leaving one extra trick in your bag. Yep. Hopefully, you never have to use it, but it'll put more birds on the table for you. Absolutely. All right. Sounds like the uh, the audience is very excited for more calling. So let's jump <laughs> to you, Brooke. Let's do some sure. basics of duck, and then we'll go back to goose. And then I might have you do maybe not like a contest cadence or anything like that, yeah. Kyle, but and and also Brooke, but. Maybe kind of do a sure. sequence, you know, if the birds are coming in, not turning to you, yeah. and yeah, then sure. have one that's going to actually, they're committed to you. I mean, cause sometimes, yeah. I mean, and you guys experience way more than I do, but sometimes they don't want to be called all the way down, you know, yeah. through the decoys versus you make one noise and they're coming in anyways. But so, you I want to. <laughs> yeah. that's a, no, that's well, North Dakota basics of duck calling. I mean, every, everything, if someone's buying a, a duck call on the, you know, a blister pack duck call on the shelf at Shields for yep. the first time, and whether you're old or young, the quack is is what you need to master first. And and I've just got a single read power call here. Um, a quack is very simple. If you've never heard a duck quack, go to a park and you'll hear one. Um, but what a lot of people don't realize is, is you're actually shaping that note, and it's very important to master 
how to start the note and how to finish the note before you move on. Um, and the way to do that is just think of think of a whistle. When you, when you whistle, what you're going to hear is is your tongue is going to stop that note at the end. Mm-hmm. And when you you start a note with your mouth open and then you finish that note by shutting it off quick, it sounds something like this in the back of the call. And then you add, like anybody else has ever told you, the quarterback hut method. You know, you're bringing it up from your stomach. Yep. It's coming up. Your stomach's flexed. Hut, hut, hut. But you're stopping the note, and that sounds something like this. master that and do it over and over and over again until your mom tells you to go outside and bother the neighbors you can build cadences off of that so yep cadence and a duck call a good one um that i was taught from a young age is the song three blind mice three blind mice <laughs> it's starting to get more advanced but in time you'll be able to start the note stop the note before you continue the second note three blind mice and then you're going to crawl you're going to walk you're going to run mm-hmm. so start slow build up, add two quacks to the end, and then kind of sounds like a duck, you know, so, and then based off of that, now you've got everything you need to build just about any cadence you've ever heard, any instructional DVD talk about, or tape, or A-track, whatever age you are, um, (laughs) you know, and and ducks are, ducks quack, that's that's the the reality of it, is a mallard hen quack, so she's going to quack, she's going to get excited, She's going to beg that mallard drake who's swinging on top of the trees to come back once he's leaving. It's the same note. It's a quack. I'm just building on that simple quack. And just like uh, just like me talking to Kyle right here, if he's right here and you do something cool, I'm going to say, Kyle, Kyle, Kyle. It's a great greeting. If, mm-hmm. if Kyle's far away, he's on the other side of the office here, I'm going to say, Kyle, Kyle. So get your quack. Understand what you're saying. But get your quack right is the most important aspect of learning how to blow a duck call. Once you get it right and you master it, you can learn all these different uh, these different mannerisms of a mallard duck, and the vocabulary starts coming together really quick. But if you skip the first step, never learn how to quack, it's very, very hard mm-hmm. to teach yourself how to quack again once you develop bad habits. So that's the quack. That's how I explain it to people, and uh, you can't cheat it. it just It's going to take some time, so yep. don't be scared to do it over and over again. So what's your thoughts on single re versus double? I mean, obviously, there's triple and there's sure. whatever. But yeah, I'm, I'm a single read guy. Uh, I like dope. Some double reads are great. Um, I personally like the single read because I can manipulate it more. Yep. Um, it's less restrictive for me the way I call. Um, I like single reads. I tell everybody who who wants to blow a duck call or learn how to blow a duck call. Um, number one, start with your confidence. And so, if you pick up a single read and you can't make it make a sound, and you pick up a double read, and that's a better place to start. Good for you. Mm-hmm. But if, if you're seriously wanting to progress. And, and you want to be able to manipulate a call or, or you're ready for that step and, and being able to fully uh, resemble a mallard duck's vocabulary, a single read is what I'd recommend. A, a true single read is going to give you more range. Yep. And, and more, most of the time, it's, it's going to give you more volume. So when you need it, you've got it. Mm-hmm. And you've got more tricks in your bag. That's my opinion. Everyone's got one, of course. But mm-hmm. if I could recommend anyone who's buying a duck call now, um, try a single read, even though it may be a little bit more complex. Um, you won't have to rely on taking your training wheels off once you learn how to do it. Your training wheels will be off, and you're off to the races, and, yep. and there's no there's no learning how to manipulate a call differently. You're starting with what you're going to finish with as an advanced caller, and you can grow into it. Mm-hmm. So with the quack, that mm-hmm. how many different types of duck calls? I, that's not what I'm trying to say. How many different cadences or styles, the comeback, the hail call, whatever? It all starts with the quack. Correct. Yeah, everything starts with a quack. Outside. The only thing that doesn't really start with a quack is that is a feed, and that's chuckle. a little different. But. Yep. Could you demonstrate the chuckle for the guy, for everybody? 
Sure. So this is, I'll keep it very basic. That's just a single, single cut feed. I'm just going mm-hmm. almost like a C-A-H uh, type sound. And I'm just, I'm using pressure in my mouth to make that reed slap the tone board. Yep. Sounds like this in the back of the call. It's all about punctuation. Just like, just like giving a speech, you want to be mm-hmm. proper, speak clearly and enunciate your words. Right. Um, and, and that's, that's where everyone should start with a feed. I could blow a really fast, super complex feed call, and anyone who's actually wanting to learn from it is just going to say that sounds cool, and they won't they won't gain anything from it other than like I can blow it up call. So, yep. Yep. Um, I, you know, it's great to be able to blow a feed call fast. But when we're hunting, a lot of times we kill a lot more ducks than the fastest rolling feed you can make. It's mm-hmm. enunciated well; birds can hear it, and uh, it's a hungry duck. So it's a little bit more realistic and. Just keep it simple, stupid. Like my math teacher used to always tell me, the KISS method will get, yep. will get you far in the field. Perfect. All right, Kyle, you mind doing a little sequence on your goose? Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll actually just do something like geese, like what we just talked about, geese on the corner trying to get their mm-hmm. attention. They're kind of being a little stubborn, but I'm only going to use the three notes, those okay. three basic notes. Perfect. So trying to just give those guys an example of that. So they're heading off. <laughs> very very simple three notes that's all it was it's a cluck a double cluck and a moan so does that right there does that carry over from the stage to the field and field to the stage that exact or are you doing anything Um, different yeah i would say in, in controlling it absolutely because um, on the stage, it's not necessarily a hunting situation that you're trying to, uh, you know, you're just basically showing the, uh, the control of the caller and the maximum function of the call when mm-hmm. it comes to uh, calling competitions. But when it comes to hunting, uh, I know that when I want to go do that note, I'm going to be able to do it. Yep. Um, but then at the same time, I know that with those geese on those corners, I'm able to control those geese, mm-hmm. uh, in most, in most scenarios. But I would say there's certain parts of your calling competition that that would, those three note variations would come in very, very handy. Very good. All right, Brooke, you're up. What's up? <laughs> Just the guy from South Louisiana learning about goose calling. That's <laughs> right. <see> here. <laughs> We're all students tonight. Do you mind doing oh, some, uh, do something similar with the ducks? On the corners, sure. I mean, let's let's do something maybe not flooded timber. Uh, you know, most sure. of our market's going to be in the the grain belt for the most part or rivers. Uh, so sure. something similar to that. Yeah. So um, similar scenario. Ducks are a little bit different. It's not constant calling, but I'll just run through a few sounds and a scenario yeah. that what I would use if if I see ducks far away and they're not looking at me, I'll call them. I'll get them to come to me, and they're approaching, and then they'll leave again, and I'll bring them back. So. Just like in a hunting situation, really, no matter where you are, is get their attention, try to convince them to finish, they leave, and then we try to get their attention again and then set them on the water. Yep. Same three notes, same aspect. I didn't do anything fancy. You know, it's yep. 
it sounds like a lot, but it's, you know, it, it's, it's really quacks and little single cuts. It's how you, how you manipulate the call and, and really not necessarily what you're saying, but how you're saying it. It's just like when you're having a conversation with somebody, you're telling that bird what to do. You're not asking it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I can ask Kyle who or who, it means, it means two different things in yep. context. So ducks, ducks have a vocabulary. We'll never understand it, but um, just like Kyle was saying, those three basic sounds will go a long way. Mm-hmm. Those are really the only three sounds I make whenever I'm, I'm duck hunting. And yep. uh, no need to do anything crazy, just like contest calling with goose stuff. There's a lot of things you can do on stage um, that I'm capable of, but um, they're not necessary in the field. But I know I can do them if I have to. Having more tricks in my bag than the guy next to me uh, say, wins a lot yeah. of battles. Oh yeah. But those three basic sounds will get you far in life and know what you're saying to those ducks. Mm-hmm. Demand their attention. Don't ask for it. And know what you're doing when you're doing it. And every time. You know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, every time, right? Yeah, every, every time. Everybody saw that. Never seen it not work. Never, not yep. once. <laughs> Holding you accountable. Uh, right. Do you have a spec call on that lanyard? Yeah, I do. What would you like to hear? Because it's really loud. Well, we've got one of the questions. How do you hunt call specs? Multiple times, I guess um, it looks like that. Uh, specs up. are a little bit different uh, when, from duck calling, and it's more similar to Canada goose hunting, but I like to refer it more to like your uh, your small geese, your cacklers. Yep. It's a lot of noise. They're busybodies. They're bumblebees. They're talking a lot. It's like snow geese. If you ever hear them not talking, something's up. Yep. So I'm the way I call specs is um, I call them to the ground. I want their attention now. I won't call at them if they're about to get shot at of course but I, I will i will call it specs until i know that they're within range and i want to call them until i'm ready to to tell everybody to pick their guns up so um spec calling you've got three basic sounds just like anything else duck and goose calling you've got your yodels which is what a lot of people know specs to sound like and then you've got your clucks and you've got your moans or your, your murmurs on the bottom you mix those three sounds together and because specs are a little bit different than a lot of birds and they, they just make noise because they're eating, they're very aggressive. You mix those together, use your tempo as um, your tempo when it increases, that's the I want to turn them back around. When you slow it down and go slow, that's whenever you're more relaxed and you can let more rope out whenever mm-hmm. they're finishing. They leave, you get more aggressive, bring them back in. Yep. Those three sounds sound like this. <laughs> Three sounds, same thing. It sounds a lot. Spec calling is a lot different. Um, mm-hmm. I can't blow a can of goose call because um, there's a lot of habits that you develop in spec calling that prevent you from easily blowing a can of goose call and vice yep. versa. But if anybody wants to pick up like a spec call and learn, um, hand placement is key. It's not something like a can of goose call where you're controlling it. Your hands are in a stationary position. That's an extension of the call. And uh, very simple sounds um, that are relatable. Can of goose calling are like a, a cluck, a spit note. There's, there's things... Mm-hmm. Air presentation is very similar. If you can master a spec call or a duck call or a can of goose call, you can make enough sounds in a spec call to successfully harvest them. Yep. And uh, keep it simple. I mean, it goes a long way. There's a lot mm-hmm. of people who harvest a lot of birds, uh, specs that is, that uh, can't necessarily blow a spec call well. But just like anything else, if you're in the right spot, know what you're looking for. Um, less is more a lot of times. And, and that's mm-hmm. how I hunt specs is I run, I run smaller decoy spreads. I hide very well. And um, I don't necessarily hunt their X, but I, I know they're going to fly over me. And specs are, are very, very um, susceptible to new areas. And, and calling will manipulate specs just like a, a Canada goose. You can mm-hmm. get a bird to do something that otherwise wouldn't want to run in traffic. Um, so I'd suggest anybody, if you see specs, 
they're using a field. You can hunt their X, but if you want to shoot them the rest of the season, get somewhere between where they're going and where they are. And it uh, doesn't take a whole lot of decoys. doesn't take a whole lot of calling. You'll get them to do it mm-hmm. and um, hide very well. They're just like a snow goose, but they listen like a Canada. And uh, they're fun to hunt. That's what makes specs fun. That's why everybody likes to hunt them. They're showing up. Um, go try. And uh, it's not that hard, really. It isn't. You know, I like to say it's super hard and everything, but it's not. It's There's a lot of things that go into Canada goose calling that are super relatable to spec hunting. Um, all you got to do is... Get a different get a different game call and yep. you you have a dog in the fight. What's your spread look like? Typically speaking, um, it, it depends. Of course, if I'm if I'm in a field where I know they're going to fly over, and let's just say it's a dry field, it's you know uh, a chiseled soybean field, um, and we're hunting and layout blinds brushed in. Um, if I've seen specs in that field using it, mm-hmm. two three dozen specs, maybe one or two snow geese, just so I know that they're going to see me when I call at them. Um, and I don't typically like to put my, my further spec decoy any further than I'm willing to shoot because specs are really weary. If they're going to flare, they're going to flare over that first decoy once they figure out your script. And I'd rather that be at 30 than 70. Um, so very small decoy spread, hide very well. And, uh, that goes a long way and you can continue to add more. A lot of times with spec hunting, less is more. Mm -hmm. They see a lot of big spreads, especially big Canada spreads and big duck spreads that people will blow a spec call out of Matt and then shoot them. Uh, when they fly over, not finishing birds. So they're very well educated when it comes to big decoy spreads. They'll figure you out oh, just yeah. like a snow goose will. But yep. um, in my opinion, ideal spread, I'm on a dry field in a field that I've seen one or two specs hit, maybe see them, they're, they're comfortable in that field, mm-hmm. pick a place where I can hide, not put my further spec decoy any further than where I want to shoot. And yep. that works out for me. No one else do it. That way it still, it still <laughs> helps. I can still be successful, but Don't no, it, it's birds. really not a big secret. It's a, uh, it's it's a very fun way to hunt, and it doesn't take a whole lot to do it. Just go out and do it. They're they're fun to hunt. They listen well, and uh, anybody sees specs, just call me. I'll, I'll come hang out with you. You'll help, right? Right. Hey, yeah. have a gun. We'll travel. Yep. All right. So this is kind of a double edged question as well, coming from the uh, the audience out there. So one of the questions, and this is something that I mean, I've had this conversation with friends before about flyways moving. Are they adjusting? What's causing them to kind of adjust? And so the second part of this question is, is that you know, historically, when you look at some of the information out there, they're going to talk about the fly zone or the flyways, correct? I mean, the Atlantic, mm-hmm. the Pacific, you got the, the Mississippi, the Central, whatever it might be. So when you're looking at that, I mean, obviously, that's just a generic map they're showing you. However, when you're keying in on those bodies of water or a water source or whatever, and then the feed and everything else, when you're virtually scouting, you know, whether mm-hmm. I see, you know, Kyle, you got an Onyx shirt on, uh, whether yeah. it's Onyx or whether it's another, you know, service out there, what are you guys looking for? Outside of boots on the ground, obviously boots on the ground is going to be the most important one. But sure. from a distance, yeah. what are you guys doing? Um, well, first to to answer the first part of that question, uh, well, a good buddy of mine, Sean Stahl, told me, you know, with the as far as the flyways shifting, uh, I 100% wholeheartedly agree that they are slightly shifting. And his best response to that was. You got punched in the mouth every single day walking home from school. You'd probably walk a different way home from school. Good and analogy. That that's uh, <laughs> that's getting that's right. very yeah. very yeah. transparent. <laughs> I know from I know from past experience. Yeah. Um, yep. No, but I think that's very very true uh, because I mean it's it's just it's resonating especially down here as you get down further south. Uh, mm-hmm. You get in a lot of clubs and leases and stuff like that, and that could be. Up in those Minnesota areas, too, there's a lot of guys that are Canada goose hunting now, and mm-hmm. uh, I know that there's some shifting going on with those. 
Yeah, and to complement that, I mean, it, I don't think flyways are shifting. I think we're we're helping shift, and there's two things we can't control. That's what we're doing. That is weather, mm-hmm. and uh, the other thing is is timing. So the things we can control that that humans are helping shift these flyways are the pressure, modern farming practices, habitat, and real and and really the other the other one is lack of pressure. Mm-hmm. So birds are going where they're safe. We're pushing them there, and then like in South Louisiana, if you if you plant more sugar cane than rice. You know, it's pretty tough to ask a duck to land in a sugarcane field. Yep. So there, there's several things, and you know, it's it's warm. It's a lot of a lot of people wanting to hunt. I don't blame the ducks. I really don't. Mm-hmm. You know, it's that I want them to be around forever. I wish they all lived in you know my backyard, but uh, that wouldn't be very good for the ducks. So you know, yep. I, I think Kyle's absolutely right. And on the get punched in the mouth analogy, mm-hmm. ducks are smart. They're very resilient. Same thing with geese. Yep. If I'm a bird, I'm not going where someone's going to shoot at me. I'll find yeah. somewhere else to go. Yeah. And that's part of the, I mean, I think one of you already said, I mean, yeah, it was, uh, Brooke, you said it, hunt the X versus running traffic. You know, sometimes yeah. that X, you're going to burn that field up and you can push the birds out, yeah. right? Sure. Or shooting a roost up or something mm-hmm. that, I mean, obviously we all do our best as sportsmen not to do that. However, we've all experienced it. So what do you sure. guys do in a high pressure area then? Oof. Small spreads, uh, big spreads, mega spreads, family groups. Well, here, uh, here especially is numbers. Uh, I mean, you'll walk. Uh, the guys in the pit next to you are trying to run. I mean, there's guys down here that run 125 to 200 dozen decoys yeah. around their pits and their blinds. Now, and that's just they're just trying to create and simulate a refuge mm-hmm. because we're so close to a major migration pattern in the Mississippi River or ma- mm-hmm. major migration route, Mississippi River. Real Foot Lake, Ten Mile Pond, yep. you name it. You know, so uh, we're right at the confluence of the Ohio and the Mississippi River. So these guys are really just trying to look like the biggest refuge that they can possibly be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you get outside of areas that are around here. I'm just trying to do something very, very simple because by the time guys are trying to go and outdo the next guy hunting next to them or down the road from them they're getting so far advanced that they're not backing off you know i'll go in where i grew up in michigan i'd hunt a high pressured area i wouldn't hunt more than 10 decoys Mm -hmm. because i know that everybody else as season gets later they're trying to get ad numbers Mm -hmm. they're trying to go seven to ten dozen full body canadas ten dozen sleeper shells i'm trying to back off that and just really really focus on looking extremely real hiding even better and just getting under where some birds like what Brooke was saying, instead of hunting an X, I'm trying to hunt somewhere where I can just get under them. And I think that's, that's a great analogy. And back to the running traffic versus hunting the X, there's nothing wrong with hunting the X, but it's, it's hunting it effectively, shooting your birds, getting out, letting them sit back down. In and out. And exactly. And whether it's ducks, we're, where we hunt the Higdon farm right here at the confluence of the Ohio Mississippi river. Ducks don't live here. When it gets cold, the ducks fly the river. We've got big spreads. They see them, and they are literally coming out of the atmosphere, it mm-hmm. seems like. And they'll hang out a little bit and loaf, but on the majority of the time, just like the real foot lake mentality, it's thousands and thousands of decoys. And when they show up, if you're the first person they see with the big, with the biggest refuge, you win. But if you're going to go hunt geese, whether it's Canada's, specks, snow geese, or even ducks, if you see ducks there and you know they're going to come back, why would you put more decoys out and, and risk them? That, well, there was only a hundred of us here yesterday. Now there's four thousand. 
you can you can just use a small spread like Kyle was saying, a couple dozen decoys. Keep it simple. All you got to do is try not to mess it up at this point. You know they're coming. You're happy. Hunt the X. You're in. You're out. Everybody's happy. Same for another day. Mm-hmm. And that's how everybody wins. The duck ducks don't necessarily win, but you win Hopefully. because you've got to shoot your birds, and those ducks can continue to thrive yep. on that that local environment there. You don't have to hunt them every day, but you save that spot, and you didn't have to spend four hours picking decoys up. So keep it simple. It works when you're hunting the X. Less is more, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Now, for um, one of the questions here is how do you avoid overcalling? I think that's kind of again one of those what if situations. I mean, if you got fresh birds sure. versus stale birds, pressure versus not pressure, mm-hmm. um, what do you guys kind of use as a rule of thumb? I mean, obviously you're working birds, and that's going to tell you sure what you're doing or not doing. You go ahead first. If you're calling a bunch and they're not finishing how you want to, try calling less. <laughs> I mean, seriously, I know. Yep. I mean, trust me, I've. I'm not, I'm not old. I'm young. I'm energetic. I'm optimistic. I love blowing a duck call, but I'm not there to blow my duck call. We can do that at the truck. Um, I'm, I'm want to do whatever it takes to finish those birds as best as possible, especially if we're filming. Mm-hmm. So calling's great, but I'm constantly, I know Kyle is too. When we hunt together, you can, you can run through a process of, Oh, when these birds are coming from this direction and I call at them here, they react this way. Okay. Well that happens two or three times. That's a constant. Remember it. And then if something goes wrong, remember what went wrong and don't do it again. Try mm-hmm. something different. So for me, if I'm calling at birds and they're not finishing, well, maybe call less. Okay, well, that didn't necessarily work. Maybe call at a different time. How do I get them to finish within three swings instead of 13? Because that's a big deal. <laughs> yep. um, so figuring them out, every place is different. And it doesn't matter how good of a caller you are. It's all about timing. And it's all about what you're showing that duck when it's ready mm-hmm. or that goose when it's ready to hear it. You're looking for that. You're looking for that bird wanting to hear your calling. You're not you're not sitting there trying to say, well, I'm going to sound like so many ducks it can't refuse. Yeah, you may get away with that sometimes, but what you'll realize is you could probably put your call up and it happened anyway. So, um, yeah, as how far many times as does that happen? You guys yeah. just sitting in the, the blind or whatever sure. else, not paying attention, sure. you get something that finishes out, right? Yeah, oh, and, yeah. and I think these are a little bit different, of course, but as far as ducks go, um, being in the right spot will make you look like the best dang duck caller in the world. Mm-hmm. I'll be the first one to tell you that, but getting their attention, manipulating the birds, choosing what side of the spread they land on. You can get real finite. And in reality, it's it's not necessarily what do the birds like. It's figuring out what they absolutely don't like and never doing it again on that morning or that afternoon. Mm-hmm. And it goes a long way. So uh, the definition of insanity, if, it, if, you, if you do the same thing over and over again and expect different results, you're, you're insane. So nope. things that I look for is birds not finishing. And if that doesn't work, I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm going to try something else. And, mm-hmm. and really, I can't sit here and say what people should do or shouldn't do because every place is different. No two callers are the same. No two ducks are the same. If it isn't broken, don't fix it. Mm-hmm. And figure out what you did to make one duck finish and plan on doing that mm-hmm. about 24 times a morning if you got a few buddies with you. Yep. And to add to that, I have just two different thought processes that I, that I use uh, when it comes to in a situation where I'm not necessarily hunting traffic because in traffic you're going huge decoy spreads, lots of calling. Mm-hmm. I'm just doing it as like a reference of what we've been talking about, you know, looking extremely real, keeping it simple, getting under the birds at some point uh, in their flight path. Uh, I look at the first one is any indication of that bird's body language changing from when I started calling, Right. And usually if there's a slight change in their body language, say they're just cruising along and I hit them with a couple fast clucks and they just 
immediately turn, right? I'm going to keep on doing that, mm-hmm. right? Um, but at the same time, when it comes to that, uh, I'll try to test that as well. And that leads to the second point is I try to go, uh, if I'm doing single clucks, right? Uh, I'm thinking of instead of in traffic where compare it to like boxing, right? You've got Floyd Mayweather, Floyd Mayweather out there throwing a million jabs. Mm-hmm. And that's what I refer to, you know, hunting traffic. I'm trying to find that in between of being a Mike Tyson and a Floyd Mayweather when it comes to calling. I'm trying to get my biggest punch out. You know, I'm trying to pack my biggest punch with each note that I'm giving. So that will either, you know, I'll either start to slow down as soon as I got that bird uh, to change directions or to focus on my spread mm-hmm. or I'll start to speed up. Just depends on what that bird's body language uh, is, uh, you know, alternated to. How it's responding. Yeah. All right. So I'm, I think I'm going to cut us off because on the, this topic, and now we're going to transition to dogs because there's a lot of dog questions. Uh, so the first one I'm going to bring up just because I think it's, in my opinion, probably one of the more important dog questions I see right now in this time is the first aid. So what do yeah. you guys bring in the field? And this could be, I mean, this is transitional from not only waterfowl hunting, but it could be upland hunting. It could be just taking your dog for a hike, right? I mean, we all have dog, not all, but majority of us do have dogs now. And so, sure. I mean, what do you guys pack with you? Sure. So I'll go first. I've got, I keep a first aid kit in my blind bag for my dog. He's got his own blind bag. Um, love my dog to death. Mm-hmm. He's crazy. And uh, I don't like hunting without him. So he's got a big first aid kit. It's, you know, it's in the size of a quart bag, but it's got a saline solution to clean out his, his eyes. It's got um, ear solution to clean out his ears. A lot of times when you're hunting, you'll get seeds and, and everything in there. Q-tips, clean eyes, neosporin. There's so many things you can get. A small tourniquet, mm-hmm. alcohol. The best advice I ever got from anybody is you can bring as much first aid as you want for your dog or for you. If there's one thing I could tell anybody with the dog is when you go on a trip, when you plan your trip, and you know where you're staying, and you know where you're hunting, get on your phone, find the nearest emergency veterinarian practice. I don't care if it's an hour away, six hours away, six minutes away. If something goes wrong, you need to know where to take that dog. Snake bites, hypothermia, heat exhaustion, whatever it is, punctures, impalement. Mm-hmm. There's only so much you can do with a first aid kit. And dogs are tough. If, if a dog gets cut, it's going to want to still hunt. Oh, it's yeah. not going to tell you. But if a dog gets cut and uh, you, don't have, <laughs> you don't have the capability of sewing your own dog up or applying local anesthesia to sedate the dog so it doesn't hurt itself further, mm-hmm. knowing where that nearest vet clinic is or animal emergency hospital is going to save your dog's life. And it's going to stop you from being in a bad position because I'm not going to perform surgery on my dog in the field because I didn't go to school for 20 years. But what I can do is I can pick my dog up, get in the truck, drive 12 miles down the road, put him in the hands of somebody who can save his life. That's the best first aid kit you could ever bring with you. In in my opinion, it's Mm -hmm. just having that knowledge, knowing when something goes wrong, not if, what direction you're driving that truck, make the world of a difference and your dog will be there by another day. Yep. So what do you, it's a big deal. Sorry. I didn't mean to cut you guys off. Kyle, did you have something too? on that uh yeah um no one of the i mean whether you're waterfall hunting upland hunting uh we always have like bags of gear right Mm -hmm. wine bags backpacks whatever uh one of the ones that i was recommended was a one of the you know the stretchy fabric baby slings Mm -hmm. because if there were a case of your dog getting hurt 
and injured enough to not be able to walk, well, instead of having to carry it, you could put it in the sling mm-hmm. to, and, and it would compress the dog as well yep. to you. Yeah, it's you're going to have to carry it out, but at the same time, it's better than having stuff flop around in mm-hmm. case it were that serious. Sure. You know, everything's contained, and it's easy to pack up yep. and put in one of the sections of your blind bag or your pack. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, a lot of times, I mean, the best first aid for your dog is knowing what to look for, signs of signs yep. of hypothermia, paying attention to your dog. When your dog's with you, don't hunt for yourself. Enjoy the hunt, but remember that dog's a, a member of the hunt as well, so pay attention to your dog. Yep. Don't wait until you call its name and it doesn't run out to realize that it's got, you know, the unspeakables, broken leg, a hole in its chest, whatever it is. Um, just pay attention to your dog. Bring water with you if it's hot. You know, if it's cold, make sure you've got a good vest, make sure it fits right, make sure it fits like a wetsuit and it's going to keep your dog warm. Yep. But overall, just paying attention to your dog goes a long way. Not putting your dog in a position where it's susceptible to getting hurt. Prevent, prevention is the best form of, of protection for mm-hmm. your dog because all he knows is he's going to get that bird yep. and he's going to do everything. It, they will do every, anything and everything to please you. So you can send that dog through fire and it's going to go, but doesn't mean you should. Yep. So one of the questions, and this is still around the dog area, but do you need a dog to hunt waterfowl? I do. Because <laughs> honestly, I, I love, if it weren't for the aspect of calling, the aspect of a dog, and the aspect of introducing people into the sport, I don't know if I'd duck hunt anymore. And I love it. It's my favorite thing in the world. But yep. if you, a well-trained dog is, is the best tool of conservation. I mean, it really mm-hmm. is. A, a great dog makes the hunt more enjoyable. You can retrieve down birds quicker. It's a it's a great exercise. It teaches it teaches you a lot about the hunt. It's further enjoyment and the passion that we all love. Mm-hmm. Seeing a dog work is a beautiful thing. I live for it. I love it. I'm not a professional dog trainer, but seeing my dog happy means the world to me. Just like taking Kyle on a spec hunt for the first time or him taking me goose hunting. I mean, seeing something be happy to be there mm-hmm. like a dog can is awesome. And you don't need one. Absolutely yep. not. I do. You may not, but I need a dog to hunt because I love it. Yeah. I mean, I would 99.9% recommend if you're hunting waterfowl, whether it's dry field ducks and geese 100% of the year, or uh, if you're hunting in wetlands, recommend hunting with a well-trained retriever, pointer, whatever, because uh, A, it's going to save you a lot of steps. Mm-hmm. Uh, B, it's going to be able to find all the all the birds that you might not be able to find from your eye, um, because we have no... not we don't have the sense of smell. Absolutely. Uh, the yeah. only, the only time I wouldn't recommend one is obviously if, you know, it, it's just depends on your surroundings. You might be hunting in an area where we're hunting in 30 foot deep of Mississippi water and you don't know what's underneath the water. Then that's whenever you wouldn't want to have one. But sure. obviously, you know, that's just a common sense thing, but yep. I would love if every waterfowl hunter had a good and well-trained retriever. Yeah. I'd rather hunt with a dog. If it's well trained, if it's not well trained and it's yeah. not adding anything to the hunt, keep your bad dog at home. Yeah. Take your dog, take your bad dog hunting until it gets good. There you go. Don't uh, don't gonna, throw it in yeah. a position where you're relying on that dog to make the hunt more enjoyable. You know, a dog brings birds in quicker, finds birds you can't mm-hmm. find, and saves you a lot of walking. And it's great. Um, it allows you to successfully have your hunt in a shorter amount of time and a more sufficient manner. But a bad dog, not a bad dog. They're not bad. A non well trained dog. Um, needs to be trained, needs to be hunted with, yep. take time, do that on your own, get the dog there. Um, and then, and then go hunting, enjoy mm-hmm. it. But a well-trained dog, um, anybody who says they wouldn't want to hunt with a dog, 
there's not alligators, snakes, or bob wire in the water. They've never hunted with a well-trained dog because it's a spectacle and it makes the hunt more oh, yeah. enjoyable. Absolutely. Now, given where you guys are at, there's not a massive population of upland birds, but do you guys ever transition your water dogs from waterfowl to upland or an upland I dog don't. from? Yeah. One of, one of my first labs that I ever owned was uh, whenever I lived in Washington State, and she came from a, a, a great line of dogs that were able to be used in the upland and mm-hmm. pheasants uh, game. And she was, we moved from Washington to Michigan before I could really dig into that, but she was great at locating any type of wild game. I would love to be able to do that, but right around where we're located, it's just not, we have quail, but it's a, you know, the population's declining um, yep. pretty steadily. You could go to like a pheasant farm or a game farm or something like oh, that. Yeah. And they're going to see, great. I mean, they're searching dead or they're searching as long as you're not seeing right. that yep. heel, right? I mean, yeah. life is good. Matt? Yeah. I've got, I've got a dog. He's, he's a lab and he's a retriever champion, master hunter. So I've never personally seen him do it. I know there's a, an aspect of that of running like the grand that they've got a flush and, and stuff. So mm-hmm. my dog's capable. I doubt I'll ever be able to take him to do it. Cause like you said, we're right here where we are geologically. It doesn't make a lot of sense, mm-hmm. but um, I'd love to do it. I've done it never with my dog, but, pointers are incredible i love it I've, I've done it with other dogs in the past but um max probably isn't very good at it. he's he's a he's a duck machine so uh we'll let him stay at that i don't want him to get spoiled on on getting those pheasants so i'll i'll come up with you ben and we'll let your dog do it <laughs> yeah all right um so we've got a couple other questions we're running out of time here too uh looks like we've got eight minutes before we got to shut her down but um if you guys don't mind if you could split this up what are the top sure. three dog products that you take with you and then what are the top three products you take that you never leave home without for waterfowl? So you want to go <laughs> top three dog products. Very easy. Invisalab made by Momarsh. No matter where you are, unless you're in a boat, you can hunt anywhere. You can hide your dog anywhere. It's happy. It's safe. It's warm. It's elevated. It works. Invisalab is great right? for my dog. Next is one blind? is during ducks. What's that? It's a blind, correct? Yes. It's a blind. Yep. It's a dog blind. You can hunt flat or up to 30 inches of water keeps your dog hidden and it's comfortable for your dog. So Invisalab is probably, in my opinion, the best dog product out there as far as a tool for a dog when it comes to concealment and comfort. Mm-hmm. Um, the next one is the Momarsh VersaVest when it's cold. Um, I don't leave the house without one in my truck. It stays there. It's not always 20 degrees when we hunt, but when it is, I'm not leaving the house without it because my dog's not hunting unless it's protected and I know it's going to be, it's going to be safe. So I'd say the VersaVest. And then the third one, uh, honestly, um, Good food. You know, we use Yukonuba here. Dog food is, is huge. Feed your dog the right fuel. You'll get the right performance. Three best dog products. Other than uh, tap water, those are the four things you need to bring your dog to do something, you know. Mm-hmm. So you can hide it. You can feed it. You can give it some water. And you can keep it protected. So those are my four favorite dog products. Yep. Kyle, if you want to. Yeah. Um, mine is definitely the Invisalab because uh, it just allows you to hunt with your, like what we just talked about with your retriever more uh you know there's a lot of areas whenever i was younger when i didn't have an invisalab that i wished i would have my dog there with me mm-hmm. you know and that allows you to get your dog out of the water it allows them to stay hidden and get dry quicker yep. uh and it just overall just it's a great great overall product uh field house lp would definitely be my second favorite one what's that now that's a it's a smaller version of the invisalab uh basically for dry field hunting uh, so whenever I go up to Michigan, 
uh, Wisconsin, wherever to Canada goose hunt, dry field duck hunt, uh, that's allowing me to keep my dog out in the field, hidden and low with low profile, mm -hmm. still with a lot of the great features like uh, an Invisalab um, has. And then the other one is absolutely the VersaVest. Um, it's a brand new product, but I have a large lab and then I've got a small lab. Uh, it's versatile. It's I can use one vest on both dogs. Mm -hmm. um, the one lab I have, Oakley, she's 47 to 46 pounds dripping wet. Uh, and then King's like 78 right now. He's a chunky guy. Uh, but it just allows me to not have to worry about going and buying multiple vests mm -hmm. for the, you know, for mul for a couple different hunts. Oh, yeah. So. Absolutely. Now, are you guys shooting mainly 12-gauge? I do. Uh, mainly, mostly I do. Um, 12 or 20 for sure. Yeah. I shoot a... Uh, Kyle's a purist. <laughs> <laughs> I, well... I shoot 12 for 12 and a 20 for uh, waterfowl. And then I got a 28 gauge that I got last year. That's really, really fun to turkey hunt with. So Attaboy. that's a, that, that's a fun one. Yep. So, yeah. Um, but yeah. And then three favorite products to carry out while hunting uh, would definitely be um, the Sitka full choke bag. That one is nice. The newer one with the little bit harder and more Bayou. water resistance. Bayou. Well, the Bayou is the, Oh, gotcha. Uh, the full choke's more of like the actual backpack, backpack. Mm -hmm. And that one, um, I love, and I don't know if you guys have them there, but they're the crabbing gloves. Uh, they're the, you know, soft gloves. Uh, fur liner. Dude, those are yep. most waterproof, warmest gloves ever. Uh, and then, obviously, my calls, man. That's, a, that's, a, that's super right. important. Best tools, three tools I'm not going to leave the house without. I'll cheat. I'll do four. Number one is my dog. Number two is um, good clothing. I can't express that enough. Yeah. You know, everybody's a little bit different. Some people hunt 100 days a year. Some people hunt one day a year. Uh, but everybody can agree that the right clothing in the right scenario allows you to have a much more enjoyable hunt. If it's mm -hmm. raining and you're wet, who wants to be out there? Doesn't matter what activity it is. If, if you're cold and wet, it's no fun. So get good clothes. We wear Sitka. Uh, it's a given. Everything they make is spot on, and we love it. Other thing is my calls. Um, if you see them and can't get their attention, it's not worth not worth uh, not worth being there a lot of times. Mm -hmm. Waving your hand doesn't work a whole bunch. So good yep. calls. Um, and then the other one, probably have to say, is staple is Higdon Pulsator. It's a it's something that ducks don't get used to. The Pulsator's has got a special place in my heart, and there's always one in my truck. So yep. those 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 are the few things that are always close to me. If we're going duck hunting, they're always within arm reach. Yep. Good. Well, based Besides, on Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say side tangent here, right? <laughs> here we right. go. I know we're running short on time. The Pulsator, uh, any water motion you can add, uh, yeah. it's almost like driving by, a, driving by a field of geese. If all their heads are up looking, then mm -hmm. there's something wrong. If there's still water on the pond, there's something wrong. So you've got water motion you're added in there. It's it's a must when it comes to It's a uh, game changer. Money. Yeah. Yeah, it's incredible. And there's no one magical product, no. but yeah. when you use them all together in the right way, like we <laughs> talked about, you use good calling, yep. good water motion, good concealment. You'll if you implement all these things into your hunt, mm -hmm. um, you'll 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 shoot more birds. There's no doubt to it. If you're where the birds are, if you're not where the birds are, good luck. Yeah. Um, but if you're where the birds are, implement some of these things we spoke about there. They're going to help you. Well, there has been a ton of questions that we never got to. So if the audience oh, wants no. to continue this conversation with you guys, what's, I mean, can they tune into your guys' podcast? I mean, are you guys available on social media? Sure. Um, obviously, yeah. 
I mean, we don't want to cut anybody off, but I mean, that hour sure. literally flew by yeah. and there's a ton yeah, of shoot us a message uh, at power calls or at Higdon outdoors is probably the best one. Go find yeah. us on Instagram at Higdon outdoors, Facebook, shoot us a message. Mm-hmm. Kyle and I both answer messages. So when, when you're talking to somebody on the other end of face page, it's us. So, um, that's pretty uh, cool. That's probably though. the best avenue. They if are you guys, want to call and talk duck hunting, give us a call. They're going to be talking to you guys, the guys they yeah, saw tonight. Absolutely. So that's pretty awesome. Yeah. yeah. That's sure. real cool. Yeah. Very good. Well, we want to thank you. Uh, we don't want to kick absolutely. you off yet. Don't worry. But uh, sure. we're going to have you guys be a part of this. Uh, the presentation of, or I shouldn't say presentation, but I'm going to get this awesome red envelope with someone's name oh. in it. Kirsten is handing it to me right now. And the exciting thing about this, thank you. It's going to say my name. I don't know if you're eligible. <laughs> uh, but anyways, I mean, this package is freaking awesome. Like someone could get yeah. this and literally turnkey, go kill something. I mean, we know everyone's here for what's in your hand right there. Yeah, that's we right. We appreciate everybody putting up with us for the last hour because there are some really good prizes in there. Yeah, I mean. I'm hoping my fiance wins. It'll be great. Really? Hopefully uh, she doesn't live in North Dakota because I think she that's doesn't. where this guy is from. I'm just kidding. Luckily um, she doesn't. <laughs> yeah. So they're getting an A5 Wicked Wing shotgun, which Ooh. is pretty cool. They've got the Momars versus Dog Vest, which I still have yet to see in my hands. I cannot wait till I get my hands on one. They're getting we'll get you a, one. They're getting a waterfowl package from you guys, fully yep. tricked out, and they're getting a $500 gift card for Sitka gear from Shields. So Pretty salty. I'm pretty jealous. All right. Drum roll. Night two oh, winner is Russ I of Bismarck, North Dakota. Dang. You yep. said Russ? Russ. Congratulations, Russ. Yeah. yeah. Congratulations, Russ. I'm super jealous. Uh, somebody from Shields will be reaching out to you and uh, work out the details of that. Obviously, there's a, a firearm involved, so we need to make sure we get the paperwork taken care of on that one. But appreciate everybody joining us. I uh, want to make sure we thank the, uh, the, the primary sponsors, Sitka, Browning, you guys, Higdon, Mo Marsh, Power Calls. Um, I think that's everybody. And Sid, or Shields, I should say. Thank you, Shields, for yeah. providing some <laughs> some cash to for us. But yeah, yeah, we appreciate everybody's time. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks, guys. Really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Thank Thanks you. for having us. Thank you for listening to the Shields Outdoors podcast. Stay tuned for future segments and visit our social media pages, Shields Outdoors on Facebook and Instagram for daily updates.